Jag vet inte hur många sällskaper jag har mött som sliter med att få in professionella investorer till trots för att produkten egentligen är ganska bra och sällskapet visar växt och goda tal. Vi ser en ting de proffsiga investorerna på utsikter i tillägg att du bygger ett bra sällskap självklart är hur du hanterar dina aktionärer eller ditt så kallade cap table som det heter på startupsk. Ett ödelagt cap table sätter rätt och slett en stopper för sällskapsutveckling. Unlisted.ai gör det möjligt för sällskaper att hantera aktie- och optionsprogrammer, aktieägarboken, cap table och det mesta av rättigheter in mot aktierna i sällskapet på ett sted. Pröv Unlisted.ai sin gratisversion idag. Hi and welcome to Shifters Podcast. I'm here with Yara Pauli. She's the former VP of Growth at Skyscanner and currently she works as a growth consultant for startups. Welcome, Yara. Thank you for having me, Lukas. It's a pleasure to be here today. And Yara, you will be speaking at our conference, The Shift, in November. Have you ever been to Norway before? I have never been to Norway, so I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, and we're looking forward to having you. So let's get uh, r- right on it. Um, could you please tell us a l- little bit about, about your background? Of course, with pleasure. Um, so let's start from the beginning. I have a, a first honor degree in psychology from uh, what is considered a prestigious university in Italy, the University of Padova. And uh, what, what's probably unusual about me is that I started my career as a developmental psychologist with clinical research experience. And, uh, you know, I was working in the experimental laboratories of the Padova University in my early career. Uh, I also have a great passion for music and communication. So uh, after studying psychology, I gained a master in this area and worked for a while on researching musical preferences amongst the adolescents as well as for the radio business. And uh, after this, basically, I focused on positive marketing, mixing methodology of research and applied growth, uh, uh, applied modern music to prevent basically the abuse of alcohol amongst the youngster. Uh, and you might wonder, how did you get to, you know, working growth? Yes, exactly. Well, <laughs> actually, you know, from, from here, I got attracted by what back then was uh, the emerging digital marketing world and uh, all the digital channels used to communicate products value to different audiences. So, um, you know, since then, I started to do a lot of self-studying and research, and I started actually to work in the digital marketing industry. And it has been a personal growth journey all the way. Um, that was basically made of accelerated and practical learnings in applied growth, uh, leadership, operations optimizations, uh, team building and change management. Um, then, you know, scaling up a business building for sustainable growth and, uh, you know, inno- how to innovate to surpass inflection points. Uh, as, as you mentioned at the beginning, my probably latest and, and greatest adventure was with Skyscanner, where I joined as an employee number 32 and left post-acquisition, a company of over a thousand employees uh, that got a 1.4 billion uh, pounds evaluation. 
And, um, you know, I was working here for nearly eight years. So I was contributing to deliver several timestamp growth moments to the business. Um, and that's where, you know, I reinforced significantly my expertise in the uh, uh, growth hacking field. So c- could you just shortly explain what Skyscanner is? Sure. Skyscanner is a travel search engine. Uh, so uh, what Skyscanner does is making travel easy for people. Uh, they compare uh, flights, car hire, and hotels, uh, so to make it easy to find the cheapest or best uh, uh, travel options for travelers that are looking to go on holiday or on a business trip. And how many users did this uh, service uh, does this service have? To the current- uh, Skyscanner has got currently over 60 million unique users per month and uh, over 60 million downloads of uh, the app. So it's a pretty big business and serves a lot of travelers worldwide. And it also has, you know, um, 10 offices around the world and obviously covers uh, several currencies and uh, plenty of languages. So it's available for all people across uh, um, the planet. And, And what were the numbers before you started? Oh, when I started, you know, I I took over the development of the Italian market. And to give you an idea, you know, um, the the website back then wasn't even localized. So, you know, it was translated with a a very rudimental Google Translate. And it had around 50,000 users uh, per month. So uh, when I took it on after a year, we reached roughly a million users, mainly coming from organic sources of traffic. So, you know, from sustainable sources uh, that uh, made of uh, Skyscanner the number one meta search in travel in Italy in a very short time. Um, so that was the beginning. And you can see that uh, the journey was 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 long and uh, it, it, it took the company to a very different position uh, where, where growth, you know, was achieved several times then. Um, and, uh, you know, bringing a company to be uh, acquired for 1.5 uh, uh, billion uh, pounds is, is quite an achievement. Yeah, it really is. Uh, congratulations on the achievement. And uh, you, you've certainly been a big part of it. Oh, yeah, a part of it. Of course, you know, you never reach such a growth if you don't do a proper teamwork. Uh, but it's been a pleasure to work with marvelous people during these years. So so how do you actually grow um, a search engine like a, 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 like Skyscanner from, from 50,000 to a million users in one year? What were the key things you did? Uh, at the time, I think, you know, it was all about uh, understanding how to achieve the famous product market fit. You know, Skyscanner was originally born as a as a website uh, to help British travelers, you know, um, to to find the cheap flights to go wherever they wanted on holiday. Um, so the product was certainly uh, serving a purpose also for an Italian audience. But as I mentioned before, it wasn't properly localized. That means that, you know, the translation were not accurate. Um, the commercial relationship with airlines and online travel agents were not quite there. And they didn't include you know, local partners. Um, we didn't have any relationship, you know, with the local journalists that could support, you know, with the um, obviously advertising and public uh, relations side of, of uh, uh, the marketing mix. So um, I basically focused first 
on understanding how to achieve uh, product market fit, making sure that the product was meeting, you know, the Italian audience uh, travel needs that was properly translated and that was offering, you know, a mix of commercial um, options to actually uh, fly all over the world, including, you know, Italian airlines and uh, any um, route that could be of interest to Italian people. So that was the very first step. And I think a step that any startup should take, you know, uh, before investing any significant marketing money into acquiring user. Uh, the second part was actually trying to understand how to grow a business with very limited budget. Because, you know, at the time we were talking about a proper startup, you know, uh, less than 50 people uh, team and just me, you know, with the help of some uh, other colleagues trying to figure out how to, to become number one in that market. Um, we, uh, we focused a lot on uh, search engine optimization. So at the time, you know, uh, we thought that building up uh, uh, meaningful content uh, that could serve the traveler's needs in terms of, you know, inspiring them on where to travel, when to travel, uh, where to go, um, um, you know, emerging destinations and so on, while providing, you know, um, the value that a search engine like Skyscanner can give was a powerful and winning mix. And, uh, of course, you know, you need a lot of strategy and work in terms of, you know, uh, doing um, white hat link building, making sure that, you know, uh, you build up meaningful relationship with the local influencers, that obviously you get to be known by relevant journalists, that you explain the value of your product so that actually, you know, uh, you can gain market share. And, uh, you know, so it, it's not um, a, an easy key to success. It's just uh, daily hard work towards achieving sustainable growth. Um, so to answer your question, it was a mix of, you know, making sure that you achieve product market fit and then that you find the right marketing mix to actually grow your user base and retain your customers in the long run. So how do you know if you have product market fit? That's a very good question. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, there are several ways to know. Uh, the, the simplest way would be, uh, looking at your retention patterns, you know, if when you acquire users, uh, they never come back, probably you haven't achieved product market fit uh, because they haven't got any value out of it. So a, a simple way to do that would be to make sure that um, you keep an eye on, uh, on retained users. So after acquiring them, you don't have to spend extra money to acquire them again. Uh, you can also obviously complicate your life and be much more precise and come up with, uh, you know, uh, mathematical models that can help you, you know, assessing, for example, internal metrics, uh, what I would call the AAR or pirate metrics. So for acquisition, activation, retention, revenue and referrals and see how these are moving uh, upwards for that very market. And mixing them with external uh, factors and metrics like, you know, um, the travel market size. In this case, obviously, we're talking about a travel search engine. But, you know, depending on the industry in which the startup operate, you can um, monitor metrics that are relevant to understand the size of the market, uh, the opportunity for growth, uh, how many competitors there are already in that market, um, how fragmented the market is. And uh, by fragmented, I mean... 
let me give you an example. Uh, you know, if a market is a monopoly, and for example, there is just one big online travel agent, there is no reason to exist for a um, search engine like Skyscanner because there aren't many options to compare. Instead, you know, if the market is extremely fragmented and you got uh, 50, 60 airlines or uh, online travel agents, then, you know, you are uh, sure that you're going to add value to the travelers because, of course, you are doing the hard, uh, the hard work for them. So the, the, uh, more, the more friction, the more the opportunity. Exactly. That's a very good way to put it. So, you know, it, it, to assess product market fit, you know, um, you can simply say, are my users happy and engaged with my produ product? Are they getting value out of it? And, uh, um, you know, are they retained? So are they coming back when they need to look for travel options again? Or the more complex, you know, and probably analytical way would be to come up with the, with the model that is based on statistics uh, that give you an indication of how fast uh, and how healthily you're growing in that market, taking into account both internal metrics and external factors that obviously are not under your control. So you're, so you're basically saying that you should start at the bottom of the funnel and work your way up? Um, I'm saying that, you know, growth is a matter of looking at the entire funnel. So, you know, you cannot really focus just on acquisition without looking at retention, for example, because, uh, you know, that would be a very dangerous game and a very costly one. Uh, you know, if, if you don't have product market fit and you cannot retain your users, you risk of getting, you know, a million users that will never come back to your product and having wasted potentially a, a million dollars in acquiring them. Yeah. So, uh, so when is the time when you uh, push the button and uh, and focus on uh, getting new customers to your product? So, as I was trying to say before, I think you know uh, whatever your your definition or your calculation of having achieved product market fit is, I think that's the uh, the most important uh, moment uh, that separates you know. Uh, very moderate investment to uh, maybe a bigger or greater uh, investment uh, to acquire a, a bigger user base. Uh, in my opinion, you know, um, there is a, a very important rule when, when doing uh, growth hacking that, that is that um, no significant investment should precede product market fit. So to go back to your question, uh, I think, you know, once you know that you have uh, solved a problem for, for local users, then you can start, you know, acquiring with, um, with more confidence because you know that they're probably going to get value and coming back to your product. So is this the time when startups should go to investors after they have uh, reached product market fit? Should they wait uh, until that? I believe that uh, you could choose that path. Uh, if you want to be sure to get probably a more significant investment, because by then you're going to have more um, uh, more analytical points at your favor. And it's going to be easier to justify, um, you know, forecast for growth patterns for your business. Um, you might also find investors that are, uh, you know, very open minded and uh, just like your idea and give you tons of money just to experiment with it. But I think it would be um, a safer and also wiser place to actually start asking for investment after 
at least you have defined what product market fit means for your product. Interesting. So, um, uh, what do you see as the the best examples of uh, when you're working with growth? What what have you seen as the best examples in in, in working with growth? Well, I am sure we will share plenty of examples during the Shift Conference in Oslo, but uh, my favorite, although already well-known example, comes out of um, HubSpot, probably. And in particular, I really love the thinking of their former VP of growth, Brian Balfour. Um, the reason why I'm mentioning him is that because he led the team uh, developing HubSpot sales and the HubSpot CRM, uh, we to become a product that in two years basically grew its weekly user figure from, I think it was roughly 2,000 to the high six figures. And um, I really like what Halfpot has done and keeps doing now, even without Brian Balfour, uh, having built a sustainable growth uh, methodological framework that basically keeps delivering results and the right level of uh, changes to their product and to their marketing strategy. Um, the reason why I'm mentioning him also is not just for this example that might be well known to, to your audience, but um, he is one of my favorite growth experts on the planet because he took growth to an entirely different level. So he, he not only grew successfully different businesses, but he took growth to what I would define a meta level, creating and validating um, the Reforge growth course. That is a basically a, a, a series of growth lessons that nowadays attracts hundreds of aspiring growth hackers uh, around the entire world. Uh, and what what he did together initially with um, another famous growth hacker, Andrew Chen, uh, he rigorously tested methodological framework that can be easily adapted to any startup and business reality, uh, maybe B2B or B2C. And... Um, you know, uh, I, I picked this example because this is really what I would call a best in class, um, you know, example of not only growth, but the growth of growth. I see. Okay. I uh, will, uh, Brian Belfort in, um, from HubSpot. Yeah. He's, he's doing, uh, what is he doing now after, after HubSpot? So he's doing, I think he's investing a lot of uh, his knowledge, let's say, and, and time in um, in this Reforge course that I was mentioning. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a course that they tested a couple of years ago in a simplified version and that uh, I think reached excellence in terms of best practice in growth in the latest uh, uh, spring season that they released this year. I attended that myself and I must say that even, you know, um, considering myself a decent expert in growth, uh, I got tons of learnings out of it. And uh, therefore, I'm really happy that actually Brian Balfour is spending, uh, you know, some of his time on, on uh, validating further series of these, uh, these reforge. Yeah, interesting. And uh, so uh, what have you learned working with growth that has surprised you? Oh, that's an interesting question. I, I think that uh, growth is all a surprise. You know, the rest are predictable targets in a way. Um, the reason why I'm saying this is that if you do not get surprised, 
by growth in a way, you're not going to notice any change, trend or difference. And the, the movements that are necessary to grow a business and to come up with further creative ideas. Um, h- however, uh, you know, one of my basic but key learnings is that um, growth is about a need for greater alignment between uh, function and teams, clarity of vision and prioritization of efforts. Um, you know, there is a tendency right now to see growth or growth hacking as a sort of revolutionary concept. Um, per se, I don't think it is. It is right now a trendy term to tackle an evergreen problem that is really about how to drive, you know, the right users to the right product at the right time in the right context. So if I have to put it simply from a business perspective, um, how do you make your business sustainably successful? Uh, it, it is not a substitute for marketing or products for me. It is a structural concept that puts emphasis on the need to not work in silos. So, you know, uh, for example, product versus marketing um, or awareness acquisition versus activation referrals retention. Um, so, yeah, this is, you know, what surprised me about uh, the way people look at growth the most. Okay. And uh, is there something that you believe to be the truth, but that's, someone, that's something that most others will disagree with you concerning this? Let me think about that. Um, yes, actually, I, I think empathy is the greatest growth lever of all. And Saying this, I'm quite aware that this is a controversial statement to make, uh, you know, in a growth hacking interview, because uh, um, often emotional intelligence and strict revenue targets clash. Uh, However, it is my opinion that empathy for the people you work with or even, you know, your manager that you report to or the people you mentor and especially especially your customers, is essential to the growth of any business. Um, You know, it is my belief that without empathy, you won't be able to put yourself in your customer's shoes. And certainly you won't be able to solve their problems creatively uh, and creating that um, important emotional connection that differentiates you from other uh, other brands out there. Um, So you 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 think that empathy is like the fuel of creativity? Um, it is the fuel of growing sustainable, sustainably a business. Uh, and the reason why I'm saying this is because uh, numbers can give you insights for new growth opportunities. But empathy gives you the deeper, deeper level of connection to a growth opportunity. So, you know, it might be uh, at career development level or at business growth level or user base level, you know, uh, when, when you need to grow and scale a business or a startup, unless you can empathize with your teams and your employees, you know, you might have the best uh, uh, product idea in the world, but you need your team, you know, to actually deliver against that. So, so it's, more, know, it's more of like the, the oil in the machine. Yes, yes, that's correct. That's a, that's a good way to visualize it. <laughs> okay, cool. And... Um, uh, what do you see that many companies are doing wrong uh, concerning growth? Mm, okay, I think um, 
when doing growth or transition to a growth team, uh, one of the biggest mistakes that I have come across multiple times from, uh, you know, my consulting work and also uh, from speaking with, with peers from different companies is that of considering growth as a problem only of the newly formed growth team. My point here is that growth starts at the core of product. So, um, you know, it, it is a question of enabling distribution of whatever the core product value that your building is and holistically building up basically a widely adopted methodological framework that aligns employees against, uh, you know, what I would call the same North Star metric and uh, AAR metrics. Um, if you have uh, a lack of such an alignment and shared ownership of the growth problem, uh, this will certainly lead to lack of growth itself or, you know, uh, what Andrew Grove would call a critical inflection point. So, yes, I think, you know, um, what many companies do wrong is the fact that they see growth as not the problem of their business, but just of the growth team. I see. So it should be like something that is uh, everyone in, in everyone in the company should be concerned about and have the role in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's not uh, that's not very easy to to do, and that brings me over to the next question because uh, at, um, uh, today a lot of startups are applying uh, growth growth methods uh, that you have um, have mentioned. Uh, but is it is it only for uh, for startups, or can it be also incorporated by big corporations? And there there is the connection with, to the previous question because. Bigger corporations all um, are harder to to change. So, so is it is this, is this a methodology that bigger corporations actually can can use to to grow their business? I think that's an excellent question, and and uh, thank you for you know giving me the chance to actually raise this point. Uh, I think growth hacking is especially important for startups, uh, and the reason why I say this is because normally they still have to validate their product proposition, and of course they have several constraints, no, uh, like a limited budget in premise. So they need to be very careful uh, on how they spend their effort, their time, their people, their money. And growth hacking is, uh, you know, in its uh, original definition, is a process of rapid experimentation across uh, the marketing funnel, the product development, the sales segments, and basically other areas of the business to identify uh, the best or most efficient way to, to grow that business. So, you know, uh, I think it, sh it can and should be applied in every business, no matter how, how big they are. And, um, you know, I'm pretty sure that even big corporation wants to keep growing, uh, you know, um, and, and don't reach any inflection point. So it is about how you manage the speed of your experimentation after all. Um, and, you know, it has been proven by research that um, to greater number of experiments correspond greater growth for the business itself. So in, in reality, I think growth hacking, it's, indispensable and essential for startups but is very very helpful also for bigger companies and uh, and massive corporations that do not want to stagnate but do, do you think it will be also indispensable for bigger corporations moving ahead hmm. I, i think you know uh 
the, the problem there is that bigger corporations normally are um, often stuck, you know, in uh, in more rigid structure and hierarchies. And very often, I would say too often, in uh, dysfunctional politics. So these these factors don't go well with the speed that growth hacking require in terms of experimentation. So um, I believe that it's even more so essential to actually get rid of, you know, um, every aspect that in a, a big corporation slow down the corporation itself. Um, that makes it, of course, more difficult because, you know, applying a methodology to a 20-people startup is much faster and easier than doing that in a 5,000 or 10,000 or 50,000 company. Yeah. Uh, so do you think this eventually will be the downfall of the big corporation? Because it can't move fast enough to to stay up with the the, the, the fast pacing environment. It certainly is, um, and you know the reason why I say this is that um, I am recently talking to an incredible amount of people that used to work for big corporation, you know, uh, very well known brands and also you know uh, very esteemed ones that are wanting to go back and use their skill set for uh, for smaller startups uh, just to get their the buzz back of, you know, being able to move at speed and, you know, experimenting and innovating and uh, being able to put into practice an idea even within the same day. Something that, you know, is probably um, never seen, you know, in a big corporation because you have to go through so many processes and approvals and, you know, hierarchies uh, that needs to to, to uh, uh, give you approval for that. Uh, it creates a lot of frustration. Yeah. So um, uh, bigger corporations like, uh, but uh, you mentioned HubSpot. That's pr- pretty big now, <laughs> I think. Uh, but for HubSpot, it's probably a part of their DNA. So, or so they will probably have a have a good chance. Or I, I I think so. I think so. Also because I'm seeing, you know, from recent examples of uh, growth hacks that they put in place. For example, integrating and collaborating with. Uh, uh, type form, you know, to get uh, uh, to generate vi- viral um, uh, leads. Um, that you know, they're still applying the growth hacking methodology very well, and they're moving quite fast. Um, and as you say, you know, it's probably a question that they built it from the core and from the very, very beginning. So it's an integral part of their DNA. But as a startup, like the the, the the dream of a startup is not being a startup, right? <laughs> the, the, the dream of a startup is to become big. True, uh, true. Yeah. And uh, we have examples of startups that are turning into big corporations with a lot of policy because they they uh, mimic what other big corporations have done, and they have you know they they hire people from bigger corporations into to vital roles. And um, so, is it is it therefore more important for the startup to stay? Th- true to the the thing that got them big uh, instead of becoming the one uh, that are being attacked by a new startup I, I think there isn't just one one truth uh, and uh, one answer to that question it's a very complex subject but um, you know for me the the, the essential aspect of uh, growing a business successfully is that of deciding what you stand for. And the reason I'm saying this is that I fundamentally believe that, you know, we as human beings need 
a purpose and the sense of meaning that makes us go to work every day, at least eight days, you know, in our only life. So if it is a startup or a big corporation, doesn't really matter as long as I believe in the purpose that they're setting for themselves. And uh, this connects me to what's most important to maintain, you know, from startup to bigger uh, company, which is the culture, the culture that you develop for yourself and for your company and for your employees, the values that you decide um, them to to be um, behaving uh, according to is something that, you know, can and in my opinion should remain true. Uh, no matter the size of the business, because it gives, you know, um, a human framework to, to uh, basically the, how you invest your, your time for, for growing a business. Yeah, interesting. Um, uh, yeah, and I, I totally agree with you <laughs> on that. Uh, <laughs> so so uh, lastly, um, what are your three best uh, tips to companies that want to see growth? Mm, three best tips. Um, well, I, I won't share three tips, but let me share the three core aspects that I think uh, you need to build, um, you know, and enable sustainable growth for, for, uh, for a company. Uh, in my experience and in, in, in my, uh, you know, mental framework, growth develops around three fundamental aspects. Uh, one is growth culture, which is what I was mentioning before in trying to answer your previous question. And basically, it's about how you embed the growth mindset in your company values, uh, how you uh, enable your employees to not be afraid of failing, but actually encourage them to uh, learn from failure and, you know, uh, continuously learn and want to, to grow personally and professionally. How you build, for example, the right talent via an appropriate competencies framework and how you develop your interview process. So to make sure that, you know, uh, you hire just the best people uh, uh, that will help you succeed in your objectives. Uh, so this is the first aspect. The second one for me is the growth structure. So what kind of structure are you going to implement in your business to deliver growth at pace and sustainably? Um, you know, there is a big debate right now about um, is growth the same as marketing or is growth the same as product or is growth a mix between product and marketing and analytics and engineering? So for me, it doesn't really matter how you end up defining growth as long as, you know, you share a common definition within your business that everybody can understand and everybody can align against. So once you get that definition out, it is essential that you structure your teams and your people around that definition to facilitate uh, the achievement of growth and obviously to remove any ways that might come out of, you know, slow processes or lack of alignment uh, around that very definition and related objectives. Uh, the third aspect, just to conclude, would be, for me, um, uh, the tools that you build to actually enable growth in your organization. 
And I'm going to give you a few practical examples, um, which I think are always very helpful. Um, when I was a skyscanner, you know, I spent a considerable amount of time thinking about how can I help, you know, the regional teams to actually understand if they have achieved the product market fit, which was a question you asked me at the beginning of, of this chat. Um, so we spent some time together with uh, our growth strategy team to build a product market fit tool. And it's a, it's a tool that, you know, considering uh, internal and external metrics, uh, as I explained before, would automatically allow an easy analysis of uh, your placement and your position in a, in a market, telling you, you know, if you are actually increasing your product market fit or not. Uh, another growth tool that I think is essential, you know, um, to, to see growth is... Um, for example, a tool that allows you to prioritize your experimentation or your growth ideas uh, in light of your North Star metric. The North Star metric, which is something that Sean Ellis talks about quite a lot, and I know he'll also be speaking at, at uh, this conference, um, is, is something that you know, should serve as a guidance uh, for, for all employees to actually uh, choose uh, which idea is most impactful uh, against another? Uh, again, a skyscanner, you know, I spent some time to develop, you know, a, um, a North Star metric prioritization tool that, you know, could be used by any team in product, uh, uh, in finance, in uh, regional growth to actually, you know, compare an idea versus another and see in a very uh, automatic fashion which one would have the greatest impact in terms of uh, the North Star metrics. So you're actually building the tool from scratch? Yes. We were uh, doing, you know, um, a lot of experimentation to validate, obviously, the need for our internal customers. And then we built a tool from scratch. Uh, you, of course, need the help of very talented people, no? including uh, good data scientists to do this. But in the end, it was uh, a tool that was widely adopted by the company. So you can measure you can measure the the experiment experiment ideas uh, uh, to the the North Star metric. Is that the point? You can see what, what will have the most impact on the North Star metric. Correct. If we want to simplify, that that's exactly the point. You know, allowing you to uh, to assess the impact that an experiment or an idea that you came up with for your market or for your channel or for the product you are developing is gonna have. You know, on the on the uh, overarching North Star metric. I see. That's interesting. So uh, if I can uh, summarize, it's uh, uh, culture uh, alignment. And then uh, building the right tools. Yes, I think it is culture alignment around the definition of growth, and then obviously uh, how you build the structure for your teams. And the last is uh, the growth tools that you know you want to build to uh, to enable growth at scale in your organization. So, does one actually have to build tools, or are there tools available that one can use? Oh, no, there are plenty of tools. Uh, obviously, you know, the, there are a lot of uh, discussion going on about uh, uh, MarTech, you know, and the buy versus build uh, of, of marketing automation. Um, it, it's, I think it's, uh, um, it can be a, a personal choice of, uh, of your team or, you know, who's leading growth in your organization to, to understand, you know, if a tool out there is actually serving the purpose 
or if in some cases, you know, your demands and your needs are so personalized that only uh, an in-house customizable tool can actually uh, achieve your objective. Okay, I see. Well, uh, that uh, concludes also our uh, small uh, conversation, uh, Yara. Uh, thank you very much uh, for taking the time to 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 talk with me about uh, growth, and uh, we're looking uh, forward to seeing you in Oslo in uh, November at the Shift. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure, and uh, I really thank you for the opportunity to share a little bit of my experience. And I am uh, really looking forward to, to to being with you in Oslo very soon. Thank you.